We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Spinning is Sabonis. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Walking, gets around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Well, you got it set in the face, and I think that's terrific. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me today is the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Ooh, Alex, I thought last night was going to be the night that we end the losing streak on national television. Ooh, we were close. Maybe about the last two minutes or so didn't go you know, our way. But Pacers were in it the whole time. It just didn't work out. Well, Fachi, you better run for cover because, once again, the sky is falling for Pacer Nation after that loss. The Pacers suck. That's some of the hot takes that I've seen. <laughs> and I actually put out a tweet today, and I said, give me your biggest Pacers hot take from this season. And I want to get into that a little bit later. But right now, I want to talk about this game. So, unfortunately, I was only able to pretty much pick it up towards, like, four minutes left in the third quarter and the rest of the fourth. And what I saw in that time frame, Fachi, was a lot of the same stuff we've seen over the past couple of weeks. And I really, really, really thought there was going to be something that changed with how they ran the offense and different defensive schemes, maybe like just trying to figure out a way to maximize the talent. And I don't know, something it just looked like the same old, same old to me. Yeah, in the beginning, the first half, the, the ball movement was actually looking pretty good. Uh-huh. The Pacers were not hitting shots. I mean, it sounds weird to say because they shot 51% in the first half, but they were just missing a lot of open shots. Don't even get me started on the three-point shots because both teams were horrendous from three-point range last night. I mean, the Pacers went 7 of 29, and the Warriors went 5 of 26. So no one was hitting from three. But the second half, it just seemed far more predictable. I feel like the Warriors made adjustments. And they kind of took Sabonis out of the game because when you you look at things, 
Sabonis at halftime had 17 and 10. It looked like he was on pace for a monster game. In the second quarter alone, he was abusing the Warriors. He had 15 points, seven rebounds. Finishes the game with only about, I think it was seven points and, and like six rebounds in the second half. Or it, it really was not much. So that was disappointing and really no bench production last night. Well, that's a problem. Uh, you're probably your best bench scorer. And, uh, and Doug McDermott is now in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Same with Justin Holiday. Like, we can say what we want to – you know, we can say it all, you know, year long until we get these guys back. But if you really look at it for me, Fachi, uh, Brogdon was at his best when he had another playmaker next to him. And right now it's – it's there's nobody there. It's, uh, it's boom or bust with Brogdon, with Sabonis. It's just – it's becoming way too predictable. I agree. And I, I don't know how they change it. Maybe after these next five games, they figure out something different. But I'm I'm trying my best to keep my head level because they are still 15 and 15. They're, you know, they've been they've dipped quite a bit since trading Oladipo. I totally get that, and I totally mm-hmm. understand that whole whole side of it. But yeah, it's just like when, when you're relying on Doug McDermott and Jeremy Lamb and McConnell. And, and Justin Holiday to, to, to be this big of a, a factor in the game, you, you know, you're going to have tough nights like last night. And, and when you only have Sabonis and Brogdon in, in the 20-point range, and I believe Sabonis only took two shots in the second half, field goal attempt-wise, if I'm not mistaken. It, so, it might have been. It very well could have been. What did, what did he finish up with? He uh, finished going 7 of 12. Yeah, he and- was 7 of 10 at the, first, at the end of the first half. So he only took two field goal attempts in the second half. And he was having a hard time with Eric Pascal. Eric Pascal was having his way with him on the block. And I mean, if you go back and remember the Raptors game, OG and Anobi did the same thing. So I, I don't know. I'm not trying to say Sabonis is not a beast, but um, it just feels like when these guys get leveraged first and they get into him a little bit, he has a hard time with it. And I would like to see him work on that quite a bit in the offseason next year because he cannot allow guys that are four to five inches shorter than him and about 20 to 30 pounds lighter than him you know, can control where he's at because, you know, when you look at Joel Embiid, an MVP level player, you know, a lot of people want to put Sabonis in that, you know, upper echelon of centers. He's, he's a far away away from that to me right now. I completely agree. I mean, Embiid's on another level yeah. when it comes to that. Look, Sabonis does a lot of things great, but in terms of being a true big man, Embiid has Embiid by quite, quite a large distance. Um, you know, but for Sabonis, like I mentioned, I, to, I, my math was a little bit off. He had five points and six rebounds in the whole second half. That cannot happen. I mean, especially when we're running way too much of a two-man show and that's not working, it can't just be a one-man show. That's never going to work. And when you mentioned, you, you had a great tweet yesterday talking about how just the Pacers are lacking that wing, that wing that yeah. can do damage. And, and you can't count on, this isn't Creighton, Doug McDermott. He's not going to light you up for 28 a night. It's just not going to happen. So, and Justin Holiday, he had an off night, but he's been he's been real rock steady all year. But just to bring up a bit on the bench, outside of TJ McConnell, in the 44 minutes that the bench played last night, two rebounds and two assists total outside of TJ McConnell. Ugh. That cannot happen. And another thing, Jeremy Lamb, as good as he's been, only four shot attempts in the game. That's not wow. enough. Yeah, and no, it, and it's not enough. And it's funny because he hit that three at the start of the fourth quarter. And when he shot it with the shot clock going down, I said, oh, that's in, just because Jeremy Lamb hits those shots. And, and I think they got to figure out a way to get him more involved because they do. 
he's probably their best wing scorer right now. I mean, uh, you can say maybe McDermott because of the way he cuts, but I just think a guy that can get his own shot, defensively he's been bad, and then that's why he's probably not playing as much. But he's shooting 92% from the free throw line. Oh, yeah. He cashed those free throws. Uh, he's somebody that can at least get to the free throw line somewhat. I mean, it's not great this year, but uh, better than some of the other guys. So personally for me, when, when I look at this team, I, I really would like to see an improvement from that wing position. And it's got to be by committee. It does have to be by committee. And just one, one other unrelated note to touch on. I, I felt that Edmund Sumner did such a good job defensively on Steph Curry last time that it, I felt like we would see more of Sumner. Well, only played three minutes last night. Uh, and I know that the Pacers actually defended Steph Curry very well. I don't know if maybe Curry was just off from three, shot one of 11. But this is the guy who was on fire coming into this game. He shot seven of 21. So the Pacers did a good job there, throwing all, all sorts of different looks at him. But it's just... In the end, they ended up getting beat by just about everybody else kind of chipped in a little bit of 10 points there, 15 points there, and it was a team effort to take down the Pacers in the end. Uh, you did, you, I'm sure you had a chance to see what I thought was a horrible no-call at a very pivotal point when Kelly Oubre undercuts Sabonis. <laughs> what was your yeah. thoughts on that? Both guys hit the ground, no call. Yeah, it was one of those things where if you go back and look at it, I think Hubie Brown said you could have caught it on both guys. I didn't really agree with that. Um, it's one of those plays where you usually see the defender get called for that foul. Um, the last two-minute report I know showed, and they did indicate that Sabonis should have gotten two free throws there. But one of the things that was just frustrating to me, it's like the Pacers went for a quick two down four. Sabonis made it, I believe. And then it was it Sabonis or Brogdon. I can't even remember at this point. But then they had to foul right away. And instead of – It was Brogdon that made it. Yeah, it was Brogdon that made it. And so then they had to foul immediately, and they let's let, let Steph Curry catch the ball know, with tough. no defensive pressure up there with like 10 seconds left, and then Sabonis fouls him right away. And it's like Steph Curry, you know, fouling him is like giving him two points right back. So oh, yeah. it, it was really mind-boggling, and I know they tried to run a different play that did not work. Um, so then they had to try to throw that pass in there to Sabonis. I mean, it was a broken play. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it, was, it was a decent execution, but it didn't follow through. And then, of course – no call. I mean, sure. What is the odds that Sabonis makes two free throws there down four with like eight seconds left? I don't know. Uh, maybe 50-50, you know, like he maybe hits one yeah. or two. So that to me is not why they lost the game. They lost no, the game no. because they just couldn't hit shots. And, and that, that's what it came down to because, yeah. and sorry to cut you off, but oh, you're in, in the beginning, I'm telling you, the ball movement was really good. They were swinging it around. It was not sticking, but just – Easy open looks were just not falling. And here's where you wanted the rest for the players, but maybe there was rust on top of that rest. And it's tough because you you don't want to have the rust. You just want the rest. But in the end, I mean, you you wonder maybe how often were they practicing? Maybe they took a couple of days to just fully rest. And then maybe you just haven't really been in live game situations for a little bit. I know it's just a week. But, you know, you're, you're used to playing pretty much every other day, every, you know, two to three days. So these guys, unfortunately, they, they dropped a game that they could have won. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And we're going to be joined today by Kevin Bowen here in a few minutes. But before we get to Kevin, I, uh, I want to go through my biggest, uh, the biggest hot takes from Pacer fans this season. And this is not every Pacer fan, but this is just the responses I got from my tweet earlier today during my lunch break. And so... Uh, the first one is Victor Oladipo made this team go, and without him, we have any chance. 
Uh, the next one is Turner and Sabonis play well together and they need to keep both. The next one is if they think Sabonis and Turner are the long-term answer, they need to gauge the market for Goga to balance out the roster. The person goes on to say, and I like Goga. Um, the next one says Pacers won't win a playoff series this season. The next one says they miss Warren and Levert, but ultimately will need to trade Miles or Domas. Domas, are these really that hot of takes, though? <laughs> don't think so on that one. Um, I don't know why I feel this way, but could see Sabonis wanting out next? I don't see that. I don't see that either. And they said, you, I mean, we know nothing. Uh, I mean, Pacer fans, we might not find out this year. Okay, don't really know what that means. Uh, moving on, Aaron Holiday remains uh, really underwhelming. I agree with that. Um, the new coach isn't better than the old one. That's a hot take. Um, if Warren and Levert were healthy, they'd be second in the East. I like that one. <laughs> I like it too. Healthy, I do remember seeing that one. I do. If we're all healthy, we'll make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, one person just flat out said, we stink. Another person <laughs> said that the Sabonis isn't an all-star guy, is playing great and gets so much hate. The team missing the playoffs may not be a bad thing with the talent in the draft and new lottery odds. Um, let's see. Is there any more here? The two injured guys wouldn't make any difference. All teams have injured players. Oh my God. Herb Simon is a loser. The Pacers will never win as long as he's the owner. Uh, and then I had a couple more. So just, <laughs> uh, hold, hold, bear, bear with me here. Jeremy Lamb at the four is not what this team needs. Jakar Sampson should get more minutes. And then lastly, we're better if we trade Sabonis. A lot of people agree with me. More than you think, when fully healthy, our ceiling is higher if we cash in on him. Someone replied, said, this is 100% true. Trade Sabonis in all caps. So, Fachi, Pacer Nation is uh, it's crumbling, man. The sky has fallen. Crumbling like some stale bread, it seems like. You know, <laughs> Woo, a wise man named Nelly once said it's getting hot in here, Alex. <laughs> All right, because we are throwing everything at the wall, hoping something sticks here, and I I don't even want to partake in that. I mean, whew, if we won this game last night, we're not getting these, these hot takes like this. I mean, some of them, yes, Aaron Holiday has been underwhelming. Yes, I would like to see, you know, Miles Turner and, and Sabonis finish this year together and see what happens. Uh, we're not winning a playoff series. I don't know. I don't think that's that much of a hot take when we haven't. But if we get these guys healthy together, we very well could. Uh, and so I just feel like right now, what can we really expect when we're without two very valuable starters? I mean, look at Boston right now. I mean, they look gross. 15 and 17, they have their guys. Like, we, the best is yet to come for us. I mean, it's like, yeah, I could say it each week it, it, two to three times a week, but that's what it is. And, I mean, we're missing two very big parts of this team. I don't want to blow it up. I don't think Sabonis wants out, and I'm definitely not tanking for a draft pick. I, there is too <laughs> much, way too much talent on this team for us to mail it in and get the 13th overall pick or something gross like that. Yeah, no, it's uh, – look, here's what I'll say about this whole thing. It's easy to overreact because the team has struggled quite a bit. And when you see the limitations of DeMontis Sabonis um, right now, just because of the lack of playmakers aside from Brogdon, I think that he's being asked to do more than he really probably should be asked to do. Completely um, agree. Because, look, I mean, he's not a great – he's not someone that's really good at taking someone off the dribble. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's improving. Um, he's a good back-to-the-basket player. He's a great dribble handoff. 
you know, screener type of player, but he's got limitations. And yes, we have talked about him being an all-star level player, definitely deserving of it because of how much he impacts the game and what he does for this team. But at the same time, if you're asking him to be an MVP level player, I mean, that's what it would take for him right now with how this roster is currently constructed with two injured players. So um, you get Oladipo. I mean, when you saw Oladipo with the team, Sabonis looked a lot better. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful you know, if you go back and look at last year, and this is my biggest thing, like TJ Warren was a guy that could create his own shot. He was a guy that made a lot of, you know, he, he made a, he made some big shots. So anyway, uh, we could ramble on for this for a while, but let's take a quick break. We're going to add Kevin Bowen here into the, into the mix as we talk all things Pacers. All right, everybody joining us now from 1070 The Fan, the one and only Kevin Bowen. KB, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Oh, not a whole lot. We're just trying to find cover because the uh, the sky is falling for Pacer Nation. So uh, they've been off a whole week. They come out and lose on national TV in a close game to the Warriors. KB, just before we get into this game and kind of your thoughts on this game a little bit, what were your thoughts? What have your thoughts been on the overall play of the Pacers this season? Well, I I first have to say, have you gone from Kevin Pritchard to Kevin Bowen as the last <laughs> two guests on the podcast? Because I I guess I'll apologize up front to the listeners on that. You got some big shoes to fill, KB. Gosh. <laughs> Same geez. name. Hoping maybe the fans get confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kevin B, Kevin P. I don't know. It kind of sounds somewhat similar. KP, KB. Um, <laughs> right. You know, overall thoughts on the season. Um, if you would have told me we're 30 games into it, I think we're 30 games into it, that, yeah. you know, they'd be down a couple 18-point scores for the chunk of time that they've been without those guys uh, and they're 500, I would have said, okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Now, how they've gotten there is a little bit different than I would have expected. And I think maybe the frustrating aspect is the fact that, again, you did start off so well and then have teetered off here um, as you're approaching the All-Star break. But I don't think we can lose sight of just what the first 30 games has really meant uh, moving forward as a franchise. And that is the fact that you've turned Victor Oladipo, an expiring contract, into um, what you hope is a younger um, similar production won't look the exact same, and we'll obviously see what happens when Karis LeVert hopefully gets back within the next month. Um, but again, uh, to me, that's the biggest storyline of this season so far is you've taken Victor Oladipo and, and him not wanting to be here in that expiring contract and turned it into an asset that you could argue is better on the surface, and that's not even factoring in just you know contract situation, age, things like that. Of course, the LeVert situation is in itself a different story, but I, I do think that is the biggest storyline, you know, on court, off the court, which kind of stinks. You'd rather be more on the court, but that's the reality, I think, of where we are where we are at right now. No, I, I definitely agree. And I think that the best is yet to come, in fact, because it's like if we, I don't know, for, for if you've watched Victor Oladipo in Houston right now, it's not looking too pretty Ooh. to the point where yeah. is it really worth it to have two or three more wins right now, but then not know where you're going moving forward? Because I'm making the same trade 10 out of 10 times. Are you? Oh, 100%. I mean, hell, I mean, I'm doing 100 out of 100. Yeah, I mean, that was a, <laughs> that was an absolute no-brainer. And, and I, I think what you have to look at is certainly of like, let's just make sure you have one eye looking forward. Um, and that's what happened with that trade. And, and, you know, you can make the argument in the short term, had Levert been healthy, right away and this problem not been discovered that you know who knows are the Pacers whatever 18 and 12 or 17 and 13 right now um and like you said Victor of course you know had his issues or has had his issues in in Houston and now dealing with a foot issue as well but yeah 
without a doubt, that trade is a no-brainer. I, I thought it was an absolute home run at the time. Just a wild circumstance. Um, and it's great news that Karis LeVert is healthy. And, boy, I think I speak for everyone. It just you're so eager to see him and then this team in general around a new young asset. It's been a while since the Pacers have had a young asset that I think we're really excited about. Um, you, you know, I, I guess you go back to Brogdon maybe, you know, a couple of years ago, but I, to me, Lavert is even a little bit different than that. Yeah. And I think the biggest difference is you traded away the guy you thought was your franchise player form too. So that's, that's a big part of it for me. And I think, you know, what we hope Lavert can bring, and we know what TJ Warren can bring, like, I think if Warren was healthy all year long, then we're probably a better team, obviously, just because you have that other creator. And that's what we were talking about in the first segment is just not having that creator. But aside from that, I mean, what what other problems do you see with this team right now that have just really caused them to not win as many games? Yeah, you know, non-Warren Levert um, division, I'd start just with their defensive scheme and the personnel to utilize that scheme, or I guess implement that scheme would probably be the better way to say it. You know, I keep on going back to the night of the draft and boy, it seems like that press conference happened at like 4am, but basically whenever the pickup cash of Stanley was made and uh, Chad Buchanan hopped on zoom with us, you know, he pretty much said like, we feel like we are a highly skilled basketball team. We feel like we have got great basketball IQ, but we're not very athletic compared to the rest of the NBA teams. Couldn't agree with that more. Um, I think particularly when you're talking wing and, and backcourt. And I think that was a reason why that Stanley pick made a whole lot of sense is that you were up in your athleticism for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think that that's where you look at the defense and again, implementing that scheme and chasing around shooters and things like that. You know, when you're closing out on guys as aggressively as the Pacers are, you get into scramble situations and you need your athleticism to make up for it. And you think back where Nate Bjorkren came from. I think Toronto's got some very interchangeable wing pieces. I think they are on the upper side of athleticism with a lot of those guys as well. And that helps. And I, I think the Pacers and some of the lineups that they choose to play. Um, and again, some of this is personnel driven. I think that doesn't maybe adhere to them necessarily being able to play that as well as they would like to. And I think we have to keep in, uh, you know, in mind when Nate Bjorkman is hired, I think I might even come on with, with you guys, you know, made it very clear, like this cannot just be, Hey, here's your personnel and we're forcing it down your throat and it's championship level. Like there needs to be tweaks to this roster and, and you've made one already. And I still think you have to make, um, additional ones, although those aren't as crystal clear as maybe the old depot situation was. So I, I think just perimeter defense, exposing miles, um, relying so much on him when he's not on the floor, you know, it's, it's me protecting the rim pretty much. That is an issue. And then offensively, I, I think you're 30 games into it. And I just think you've gotten scouted and people know full well that if you load up on Brogdon and Sabonis in the pick and roll, but especially Brogdon in any pick and roll situation, and you ultimately, you know, sit on the right shoulder of Sabonis and, you know, pack the paint like Golden State packed it last night. I'm something I talked about earlier today when I was hosting our, our morning show in the fan. I mean, now look at the last two losses, Chicago and Golden State. They both have finished these games with lineups that, you know, who's the tallest guy on the floor? Thad Young and Denzel Valentine. And then last night it was, what, Pascal and mm-hmm. – 
Draymond. I don't even know. Draymond, maybe. Yeah. Like, it, it's just teams are, are, are saying, we'll go small and we'll trust that the double or, you know, swarming Sabonis, if he gets it in the post, is going to win. And um, I just think that is an issue for this team right now. It's enough help for Brogdon and Sabonis. Really good starts to the season for both of those guys. But I think we know to be a top four, top five team in the East, relying on Sabonis and Brogdon to carry that type of scoring burden for 70-some games, that's too much to ask for. Uh, we are for sure asking way too much of those two. And you mentioned tweaks to this uh, this roster, but what do you think of in terms of tweaks to this starting lineup? We've seen that fifth starter be almost kind of like a revolving door. We've seen Doug McDermott there. We saw you know, TJ McConnell for a game. We saw Aaron Holiday, a little bit of Edmund Sumner. Who do you think is the best to be inserted into obviously Jeremy Lamb as well. Who do you think is the best to be inserted into that fifth starter spot? Because last night was outside of McConnell, the bench was just bare boned in terms of production. So are you going with Laverta the two, obviously like saying who would be the fifth starter to round out that group? Well, well, no, no, no. You know what? Take it for right now. No Levert, no TJ Warren. Working with the current guys we got right now. Do you like Doug McDermott in the starting lineup, or would you prefer him off the bench? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, selfishly, I love Doug with Domas. I think it mm-hmm. helps that two-man game. I think it's so dynamic and helps space the floor for Domas as well. But then having said that, boy, I really love when TJ McConnell's on the floor with, with uh, Doug as well. I think he does such a good job of finding him. So, um, you know, I didn't mind at times, you know, when you had Sumner out there on those West Coast games. Yeah. But it, it's just like, you know, it, it, is the floor too congested when you have him out there? Like, Miles has got to be a real threat from three if you're going to do that because I just don't think Sumner has that respect right now. Um, and Justin Holiday, of course, you know, it, it is a very good shooter, but – I just don't think you you stretch it enough. And you know, it's kind of weird. I have to go back and watch it a little bit more last night. But, you know, Domas struggled so much in the first quarter. And then I don't think he's played to the second unit anywhere near as much as we thought he would this season. But then he played to the second unit there in the second. And, boy, that was back to, you know, just he's the catalyst and everything's going through him. And, you know, he really scored at a very high level. So I don't have a great answer for you. Um guess you leave it how it is and just as much as I like Nate you know wanting to experiment with lineups this time of the year and you know closing a game out there in holiday and building that confidence and he's probably playing he's certainly playing Goga Goga a lot more than Nate McMillan would have ever played him which is nice but you know at times it's costing you and last night there are a couple Goga possessions there where geez um so yeah I I (laughs) I would probably, honestly, I'd be a little selfish right now. I might would, I would probably shorten the rotation a little bit just because I am worried about if you get on a skid here and that continues when you come back with that brutal start to the second half of the schedule, are you fighting just, just to get out of the play-in game, you know, format? Because yeah. I, I think that is what you really have to try and avoid here at all costs. Well, and I'll say this, like as far as McDermott and the starting lineup, to, to me personally – I like it a little bit because of the way he cuts, but he's not been shooting the three very well this year. Uh, very inconsistent, and it's just kind of frustrating. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and personally, I like when he's on the bench with with TJ and and with Domas playing that kind of fifth starter there or, or fifth player at the bench, you know, 
and, and, and Jeremy Lamb has just not been good with the starters and the record was horrible. And, and personally, like Edmund Sumner, he's he, to me, it's not like he's the answer or anything like that, Kevin, but I, I just feel like with Sumner, at least he's a good cutter and he plays defense 20, you know, 25 times harder than both, uh, both Lamb and McDermott. And he can fight through screens a lot easier. He's just real quick, gets its hands in the passing lanes. And, and personally, if, if Aaron Holiday continues to struggle the way he has, I, I think that it'd be a good opportunity to give Edmund Sumner just a little bit more minutes. Like, I understand offensive limitations are there for sure, but I, I think right now the way the Pacers are moving on offense, it's – it's. I mean, he's a good cutter, but that's about it, but they're not doing that. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the season, Miles Turner was cutting all the time. And, and when he was cutting, he was actually really effective, and they just kind of got away from that. So it's been too much of the two-man game between Sabonis and Brogdon for me. Um, but, but anyway, I could, I could rant on this for days. I just, I just feel like right now this team is a 500 or below 500 team without two key starters. And I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, write the team off yet. But do you think that this team as currently constructed KB is the long-term answer for this team? No, no, not to not to reach the level that you want to reach. And honestly, I guess I should even say, you know, I don't know, being one of the last four teams standing, uh, not even, you know, acting like, you know, a, a NBA finals appearance is on the horizon or anything like that. Um, you know, to your point earlier, Alex, I, I, I do think that before I guess I address the question, I, I just feel like, you know, we had Pat Boylan on earlier today and he, and he used the phrase kind of treading water. I, I think that's so uh, well said right now. I mean, you're just kind of holding on and you're like, wait, how, how deep is the deep end? Like, oh no, I can we survive? Can we just get to the all-star break? Can we, whenever Karis LeVert's coming back, like, can you, can you get there and just try to salvage 500 to that point? Because I... I don't want this to sound like, you know, an excuse because the way you finished last night or losing to the Bulls at home, uh, that I, I don't make excuses for that. But you are down to 18-point scores, and I just don't think you can properly evaluate this team to the full degree until at least one of them is back. You know, certainly you've got moments where, you know, Golden State's not going to apologize for Clay Thompson in, in street clothes. And, you know, Boston, if Kemba plays on Friday night, you know, things like that. Uh, but as currently constructed, to your question, no. Um, I've always been a fan of trading Miles, and I will preface it by saying I thought Miles has played pretty well this year based off my expectations for him. Um, and the reason that I, I've been a fan of, I'm just not a believer in two bigs working. I understand you're in the small market, and contrarian is a way to possibly explore. I get that, but I also feel like going back to the earlier point about Chad Buchanan, the lack of athleticism, I just think you lack dynamic uh, playmakers uh, at point guard or really off the ball as well. And probably mostly in the athleticism department, but just, you know, dynamic guys that can create something off the dribble for you. Like as wild as it sounds like TJ McConnell is one of your better dribble creators. And like, you know, again, from an explosive athletic standpoint, you would not consider him a guy that, you know, would, would, would fall in that category, but I think he is. Um, so I, I feel like moving miles, I know what it would do to your defense and that, that is frightening, but I just think you got to get a little bit more juice in that backcourt. 
And I also think Miles, you know, arguably would be more attractive than Domas to some teams. Um, I think the offense bogs down too much for me to move um, to move Sabonis. I, I, I just take out his scoring. He facilitates unbelievably, sets screens unbelievable. You know, stuff that doesn't even show up in the stat sheet, non-assist, you know, um, whatever he had. I think he had a handful last night, like even just screens or hockey assists, things like that as well. Um, so I, I, I say that with knowing what it would mean to lose Miles. And again, it's not a knock on Miles so much. Like I'm not ripping him. I, I think he can be a very fine player and is a fine player in the league. But I think to truly try and get the most out of a roster, it would be great if Goga could show you something that would make you feel a little bit better. Um, but, you know, putting Domas around, you know, four more wings, four more guard type guys be a little bit more switching one to four on defense a little bit more dynamic off the ball and on the ball on offense and um, that would be the route that I would go I I don't think this is the answer either with this lineup I mean this this roster I just I do want to be patient and wait and see TJ Warren Levert in the lineup just so we could finally at least know what the potential of this team is but I do think in the offseason they probably could make a, a move that shakes things up a bit but I love how you used treading water. I've been using weathering the storm. I think everybody has a phrase for it. I think if we could just stay above 500 until Levert gets healthy to get on the court, Pacers are going to be fine because there will be that light at the end of the tunnel when TJ Warren returns, and hopefully that is later on in the season. And you would imagine that could be April, maybe May. But, Kevin, to transition a little bit to the schedule, have you had a chance to look at the schedule because – it's a grueling march, and when the Pacers are going to make up some of those games that they didn't get to play, eight back-to-backs, it ends up being the sixth hardest strength of schedule. What were your thoughts on uh, the schedule coming out? You know, it's um, it's interesting. When you live in India, and I'm so happy that March Madness is here, you forget, like, the ramifications of it. And I also forget that the women's Big Ten tournament is at Banker's Life, whereas the men's Big Ten tournament's over at Lucas Oil. So I, I guess I kind of forgot maybe that those states would be impacted a little bit. But, man, when you see only those Wednesday night games in March at home, you're like, whoa. Uh, now, I, I will say I've looked at some other team schedules, and, like, for the most part, everyone is dealing with this to some degree. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not to the road aspect that the Pacers have right here in March, but, you know, from a back-to-back standpoint and, you know, the three games that have been postponed, um, you know, for different reasons, they all falling on the second night of back-to-backs. And that's what stands out to me. And, you know, it kind of goes back to an earlier point about just the fact that these final five games before the all-star break are so critical because when you come out and you have, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but it's what at Lakers at Suns, uh, Milwaukee is like after you play the heat twice, mm-hmm. it's your only home game, Brooklyn, maybe in that stretch, like, Whoa. I mean, I'd sign up for three and four right now and, 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 and run to the bank. Like, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, if you go two and three here to close out the stretch and then, you know, whatever, two and five out of that first seven, you're likely going to be in that eight seed, seven seed spot when Carousel Vert starts to get reintegrated or integrated, I should say a little bit more as well. And then I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little bit more skeptical on TJ Warren than most. Like, what? Yeah. I, I, I just – I don't have a great feel for that. Um, what, the regular season's going to end in what is it, uh, May, mid-May, something like that? 
May 16th is the last game. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the play-ins at May 18th to the 21st, I think, or 20th. So, boy, you would think, you know, can he get on the court by mid-April? Can he – Can he? I, I don't know. I that's like best-case scenario. Right. Mid-April. That's, that's what I think. I mean, we're talking – and we're talking, you know, both feet have been impacted by this as well. Um, so that, I guess, is a little bit of concern that I have of, you know, if he doesn't get on the floor until the 1st of May, you know, how much can you rely on him even? What does the rotation look like? Are you kind of rebuilding the rotation as well? Are you kind of in scramble mode? And, you know, are you getting to April to where you're integrating Levert back and now you need to make up games? You know, now it's you're trying, you're trying to get to the to the at least the top six. I think the top four, because I think home court, I know you've played terrible at home this year, but I just think home court and ultimately what home court means is you're gonna draw a team that's not Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Philly. Like that's that that's what the top four seed means, yeah. um, more than anything. So to me, you know, that's the first goal. Okay, if you can't get that, now it's avoid the play in. And then obviously if if the worst case scenario happens and you're in the play in, then you know, you're just scratching the claw to uh, try to get in there and face the one of the two seed. Yeah, and I'll say this, you know, with T.J. Warren, like when we talked with KP last week, one of the big things he said is, like, it's a really weird injury, and he just was able to start putting pressure on his foot. So that made me seem like, oh, he's quite a bit of ways. Like, if you can barely put pressure on your foot because it hurts that bad, uh, doesn't sound like he'll be back anytime soon. But as far as the schedule goes, like, for me, I know March is really scary, but I think April it lightens up quite a bit. You still have some tough games in there, obviously, but there is some easier competition right now based on the standings. And same for same for May. So hopefully, once you get Lavert back and get him integrated, you can kind of make up some ground. But to, to me, I just don't. I've said this all year long because of what was going down with Victor. I wasn't sure, and then of course with Miles being in trade rumors to start the season. To me, I always felt like 2021 was just kind of a year to get their feet wet and, and see what happens. But the team really trying to figure out who they're going to be for the future is going to happen in the next season, 21-22. So I'm trying to be optimistic about this year, but really I think my eyes are set more on the next season, KB. Uh, do you think that's fair, or, or do you think my eyes should be more set on this season and just kind of play by ear? You know, I am. Um, yeah, I think next season, but I will say this. As much as I do feel like there would be benefits to this team getting higher draft pick, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, as much as Kevin Pritchard has just wowed us in his ability to excel with trades, particularly, and I guess a little bit of free agency as well, um, when you're in this market until you draft better as of late, you're you're never going to get to the level that you want to get to. Yeah. Um, so I, I always am probably one that sides with that route more than most people do. But I will say I do think it would be very important for this team to, which this sounds premature considering they've what lost nine straight playoff games. Mm -hmm. If you could win a series, what would that do to your confidence? What would that do to just the elephant in the room? What would that do to not having those questions come up, you know, next spring when hopefully you are a better team because, you know, pretty much everybody that matters is under contract and whatnot. Um, I do think that is important. And maybe it should be baby steps. Maybe I should say, you know, lose a series in six or something like that. But I, I just feel like if you're able to somehow win a series, you know, I, I compare it so often in my job just to the NFL of like, you know, it's not like, you know, Peyton fell out of bed and won a Super Bowl his first playoff appearance. 
Like it, there are, you know, Patrick Mahomes didn't do that. I mean, there are, there are steps to be taken before you really reach that, that pinnacle. Um, so I do think that is a benefit. And like, ultimately, you know, I get, I mean, I'm a fan. Like I, I, I get fandom, Like you want to cheer for your team to win. And like, you want to see your team in the playoffs, especially just how crazy the last year or so has been and all of that. Um, so I, I totally understand that part of it, but also I can acknowledge and probably more so with, you know, me not being as emotionally invested as other people are that I realize there are some great long-term benefits if you honestly don't make the playoffs or bow out in round one and things like that. It might be hard to see right now, but um, I do probably have next year much more more circled than I do this year, even though the East looks pretty wild here through the first 30 games. You know, obviously next year is, is a bigger picture goal, but I think a lot can really be taken away. If this team can win a playoff series or push a team to seven games in the first round. I mean, Alex and I have talked about it. 2010, when the Pacers, you know, lost a six-game series as the eighth seed to the Chicago Bulls, I felt like they came back the next year so much hungrier that I feel like it really set the tone for that offseason. This is a team to look out for moving forward. And I think that this could be that kind of bunch that, oh, wow, you know what? Maybe they got a little bit of a rougher seed but if uh, with injuries. But if this team can maybe, if they can somehow hang around in that four or five spot, I think there's a winnable, you know, playoff matchup because you got to imagine Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. I feel like they hold on to those top three seeds. But if you're talking about Toronto, Chicago, you know, I don't want to face Boston. I know they'll be better, but those are teams right now that I kind of feel all right if we if we play them in the first round. I mean, Kevin, is there a team outside of maybe Boston, those top three teams that you definitely do not want to face in the first round? Um, not as many as as I thought there would be. You know, I agree. Miami. Um, you know, I know they played better of late, but still, it's that hasn't been the same sort of team that you thought. I would still probably, you know, ideally. Who is 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 it? I think it's Chicago and Charlotte right now. Yeah, I think are, mm-hmm. are are in the top eight. I mean, obviously those teams you sign up to play for in a heartbeat all day. Um, Toronto still just I don't know. There there's just still something about them like you know Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet are just the pesky fly. You can't get out of the house. It's just you just try to avoid them. And I mean, who the hell knows with Boston and you know Kemba Walker and that situation and you know Danny Ainge and and all of that. So. Yeah, I mean, there are – if you can get to that four spot, you know, certainly. I mean, that that would be ideal because you are avoiding those top three teams because I just think those top three teams are in different class. They are. And they are. I, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to win, you know, multiple games in a series against any of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's vital to – and if we're going to get greedy, I guess let's let's sit here and get, get greedy here. It's, it's vital to get the four seed. And like I was saying, it's not so much because of the home court. While I do think this home schedule and the – win-loss record at Banker's Life will eventually turn around. It's more so just to avoid those teams. And then it's, okay, take your chance against Toronto. Or if Miami continues this streak, you know, who knows? Or, you know, pray that Charlotte keeps this up and they're that that five seat, something like that. But, you know, as much as I sit here and try to talk myself into some of those matchups, when you see the track record, and I get it, no Domas, you know, and, and, and you didn't have Victor – in a, in a playoff series, there just comes a point where this franchise has just got to prove it on the floor. 
And, you know, I looked up some of the numbers um, during last year's playoff series. I want to say of the 30 teams in the league, like 20 or 21 have won a playoff series since the Pacers last did. That's kind of, that's an astonishing number to me um, when you think about it, but that's just what the drought has been. And the drought has been, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's four straight playoff series on the road. Uh, I don't, I don't count the bubble. So uh, that I, I also think is playing into it as well. Yeah, no, you can't count the bubble, especially um, if they would have probably played that last game against Miami fully healthy. They probably right. would have lost uh, just seeing how bad they played against them. But uh, I don't have too much else uh, for you, KB, because right now it's been kind of hard to uh, just really gauge a lot of the thoughts on the Pacers right now just because they've been off for a week and they've just played one game. But um, I guess I guess my final thoughts and my final question for you um, do you think do you think Nate Bjorkren is a uh, has been an upgrade over Nate McMillan? Um, I do. I know the win loss record is what it is, but I appreciate the innovative. I appreciate trying new things. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's junk defenses, you know, riding McConnell or Little Holiday, younger Holiday, whatever you want to call him, when he's a hot hand and, and close out a game. Um, I do think some out-of-timeout stuff I've really liked as well. I think that'll benefit this team in the end of it. And I know the trial and error in the regular season could be difficult, and he hasn't been dealt a great hand injury-wise. Neither was Nate, uh, old Nate, um, as well. But I I think just fresh blood, uh, different thoughts, uh, you know, counter thoughts, you know, challenging thoughts, all of that was needed on the sidelines. So, Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's too in over his head. I mean, as much as I'd like to see him publicly be a little bit more, uh, whatever, honest with us and, and not as super, super positive as he is, whatever, that's him. That's fine. Uh, you probably shouldn't go out of your skin too much by any means. But I do think he's been an upgrade. Again, people will say the win-loss record, and I totally get that. And I don't have much of an argument against that. But I think in the long term, with the right personnel and the healthy personnel, I think um, – I think he will be an upgrade. I, I, I just – I like Nate McMillan a lot. Uh, great professional. But, I mean, it was the same book in Portland. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where else did he coach? Seattle? Seattle, yep. yeah. Um, you know, all, and obviously here in Indiana, same same book. Great regular season. And the playoff resume is the playoff resume. So, Bjorkren was intriguing. It was a risk. And uh, I think there are some things, if you look you know, a little bit deeper and just not at the win-loss record, that you do like and you do appreciate. And, Kevin, as we wrap this up, one last question. Your initial reaction, were you surprised when Domas was not named an All-Star? I was, uh, mostly because the coaches vote for the reserves, and I thought mm-hmm. they would appreciate Domas enough. Um, I get it. It's difficult to take one of those guys off. Vucevic would have been the one for me. I agree. Uh, very similar numbers, but at the end of the day, you know, impacting winning. I mean, Domas, like I said, it's just not the points. I mean, I'll never forget Greg McDermott going on with Dan Dockage last year and said to Dan, you know, Dan asked him about, you know, Doug and having a nice year for the Pacers and whatever. And, and Greg was like, if I can just get him to play with Sabonis and McConnell the rest of his life, Doug will have an unbelievable finish to his NBA career. And it was a coach, not a dad. It was a coach saying, watch DeMontis Sabonis set screens. 
like it is now obviously last night he got whistled for a couple but like it, it, he just he plays the game the right way incredible basketball IQ I thought coaches would take that more to heart uh, but hell when you look at the schedule coming out maybe it's a blessing in disguise man that uh that he that he didn't make it because uh it's no joke and you're getting on a plane what this time next week or this time in two weeks I guess and heading out for a big western trip yeah, no, that's definitely true. And, you know, it is one of those things where I feel like Domas does so much of the dirty work and so much of the little things that a lot of people don't notice that are just, you know, watching watching games and looking at box scores because they don't have a lot of that stuff in there. How many screens said how many times did he take a, you know, a punch to the stomach while setting a screen? You know, I just I can't imagine the amount of wear and tear that his body goes through every single every single game, the amount of the screens they use on him. But KB, it was so it was so good to catch up with you. It's been a minute. And I know we're 30 games into the season, so it felt like it was about time to get you back on and kind of gauge your thoughts. And uh, now I'm sure you're getting all geared up for the all-star break and uh, Colts free agency and uh, and building this team out and figuring out what they're going to do. But, uh, yeah, man, you got anything to plug? Um, not a whole lot. I will, um, I guess, plug you guys, to be honest with you. I, I think it's incredible that Kevin Pritchard came on the podcast, and I mean this in all seriousness. I, uh, you know, obviously cover the Colts and Pacers, so – I've seen my fair share of GMs and team presidents, and I can't recall many, if any, that have ever gone on a podcast, let alone um, a podcast that, you know, whatever, isn't the, you know, Adam Schefter podcast or, you know, not to, uh, you know, downgrade setting the pace by any means. But uh, you guys know what I'm what I'm getting at there. And yeah. I, I just think that's awesome. And I think it shows the respect that you know, clearly Kevin has for you guys and um, what you've created as well. So I think that's really, really cool. And um yeah that was a it was a fun listen but also at the same time I just I was like wow <laughs> team president Kevin Pritchard is going on a podcast that is something I didn't think I would see so kudos to the Pacers certainly for allowing that to happen but um also for you guys and I was glad that JJ gave you the shout out that it deserved on the uh, on the broadcast we appreciate that you know Kevin's truly a man of the people it, it was an awesome uh, interview and uh Appreciate the shout out and, and thanks for coming on today and chatting with us. Yeah, definitely guys. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody that wraps it up for another episode of setting the pace. Want to thank Kevin Bowen so much for that shout out and for coming on and Fachi, the sky's not falling. We still got a long season ahead of us. A little bit of redemption on a Friday night. The Pacers are back on ESPN against the Boston Celtics. I'm tuning in. Hope you guys do too. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, if you're feeling down, you're feeling sad, just remember these three words. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.